Good morning, West Bulls. <clears throat> Thank you for being here today. Hey, I, uh, I stand before you a hobbled, hobbled man today. Um, we had our son's last baseball game yesterday, which meant Friday night practice was his last baseball practice for the fall. And the coach decided to do something a little different. He did um, parents and kids kickball. And um, the problem is I'm 41 years old now. And so I, 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 but I had my eight-year-old version of me playing kickball that night. And so what compounded all of this is, you know, we took the field and it was a mix of kids and adults on each team. And I went out to right field uh, because right field is just always where my favorite players have played, uh, specifically Andre Dawson, Chicago Cubs when I was younger. Anyhow, we get out to the field, I'm in right field, and, and all the parents are in the outfield, and you got kids on the inf- in the infield. And I noticed on the first pitch, this parent of a kid on the, other, on, the, on the other kickball team is up. And, you know, if the pitch is coming right here, usually you're facing this way. Okay, apparently he had sized up everybody, and no joke, the pitch is coming this way, and he's, he's like this. And he's looking at me, and I was like, it's on. It's on. Um, I am feeling challenged. I'm feeling insecure. It's on. And so he just bombed this thing out to right field. And just visions of Andre Dawson in my head. I, I mean, there was, there was nothing the guy couldn't do to catch a baseball. So this, this kickball is coming, and I am sprinting faster. At least I'm trying to sprint faster than I have ever sprinted in years. So I caught the ball, and I got up, and I was like... They're cheering. I was like, I'm good. I'm good. It was worth it. So next batter lines up. Apparently, apparently out number one wasn't enough. Bombs it. I caught it again. But uh, for the last uh, 48 hours, I've been going, that, that was worth it. <sighs> that was worth it. So I stand before you saying it was absolutely not worth it. Don't ever do that. Just don't ever do it. And so anyway, all that said, um, I I had my own version of back to the other night, back to the glory days, right? Well, what I want to do this morning is I actually want to take you back to that terrible and at the same time wonderful conversation that Jesus had one afternoon in John chapter 4. You may remember he was sitting at a well, He's sitting at a well because he was going through Samaria, and he sat down at a well because he was tired. And, and this woman, this woman comes out with a bucket, and he can tell she's going to fill that with water. The disciples had just left to go find food to eat in a nearby town called Sakar. And Jesus strikes up a conversation with the woman. And already, you see that very thing that we talked about last week. He's full of grace and full of truth. And, and while we read that Jesus was talking to a woman and we think no big deal, this was a very big deal. Because in, in that region and at that time, men did not publicly speak to women or associate with them for fear of gossip, for, uh, rumors, and it was just something you just didn't do. And so here is God himself talking with not just any woman, a Samaritan woman. And Jews and Samaritans did not associate. And so... He strikes up the conversation. He says, will you give me something to drink? And, and, and she's just amazed. She goes, oh, wait a second. You're a man and I'm a woman. And, and you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan. What is this? 
He says, well, would you give me something to drink? And so the conversation's going on, and, and it's going well, and she's amazed. And then he asks her a question, seemingly out of nowhere. He says, why don't you, why don't you go back to town and get your husband? And she said, well, I have no husband. And he said, I know. You've had five. And suddenly, suddenly, all the grace that had been part of this conversation, it was like, it was like it was just sucked out of the air. And there was the truth, the painful, shameful truth for this woman. She knew he was right. You've had five. In fact, the one you're living with is not even your husband. Now, it's at this point, every single one of us would like to drop in on the conversation and go, Jesus, okay, maybe you're not a people person, which is like the misunderstanding of all time, right? Maybe you're not a people person, but you don't say that to somebody. You don't say things like this. And suddenly it's the harsh, painful, shameful truth about her life that he's talking about. But then we see the fullness of grace that we talked about last week. He says, you know what? I'm going to tell you something. And he's about to tell her something that, she, that, that nobody has heard before. He says, listen, I, I know that you, you're aware of a Messiah, a Savior. And I, the one speaking with you, I'm him. And I can give you water using her bucket in the well as an object illustration. I can give you water that will quench your soul like no man can. And as, as we get to this part of the conversation, I want us to jump into the passage that we're going to be in this morning. Because as we've talked about the different back-tos, as we get back to school, back to work, but there are some back-tos of the heart, I want to orient us toward a back-to. That I believe without this, that, that mission that we, we walk through these doors every single week, right? Connect with Jesus, connect with people, connect people with Jesus, and we can miss it. We can absolutely miss it, and we can wonder why something seems to be off and something seems to be missing in our faith. And so let me pick up the account right there near the end of his conversation with this woman. If you have your Bibles, we're in John chapter 4, and here's what verse 27 says. Just then, his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman, but no one asked, what do you want? Or why are you talking with her? Then, leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, could someone have brought him food? My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and finish his work. Don't you have a saying, it's still four months until harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They're ripe for harvest. Even now, the one who reaps draws a wage and harvests a crop for eternal life, so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying, one, one sows and another reaps is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work, and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. 
Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, your word is so incredibly rich, and so we depend on you. With all that we have going on in our lives, and whether this is the first time we've opened the Bible in a a long time, Lord, we know you are faithful. As we've talked about these last couple weeks, you are a faithful God to meet us where we're at, to illuminate your word to us. And so we ask that you would do that in our hearts this morning. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever stopped and just looked around you, just gone, okay, in whatever setting I'm in, have you ever just stopped and looked around and and made some observations? I, I would argue that that's not a very normal practice for us. Because we, we live in this age of just automate, right? Let's just make everything efficient and let's make everything smooth and, and, and I have to, let me just go about my day without really even thinking about it. It's almost like we can go through our day, our life on autopilot. And so you can imagine my surprise not long ago. I, I was, we were out in Tennessee for a wedding and somebody asked where we were from and I said Littleton, Colorado. And uh, oftentimes, uh, you know, if, if you're from Littleton, you may not be aware that when you go other places, Littleton is still known for Columbine, the Columbine shootings in 1999. But this person, what they said to me, caused me to look around Littleton a little bit. They said, ah, oh, I, I was just reading the other day about the homeless population in Littleton, Colorado. And I went, what? Like, like that's one, that was a new one for me. I mean, we're aware there are homeless any given place at any given time, but it was something that caused me to, as we got back to Denver, it caused me to open my eyes a little bit and look around. And I started thinking through some memories. And then I started looking around and I started realizing, oh my goodness, how long, how many years have I lived here in Littleton and I'm just completely unaware or blind to what's around me? And as I thought about that, I remember even driving down the highway, got off at an exit, looked up under the bridge, a couple of homeless people there. I remember years ago, we were with the youth group at Ken Carroll Ranch, the park in the middle of Ken Carroll Ranch. Somebody threw a Frisbee, it went into the bushes, I went and fished out the the Frisbee. There's a sleeping bag set up, cans of food all around there. And I went, oh my goodness, I, I may not even be aware of what I'm not aware of of what I can't see. As we look over these last few weeks at what we get back to, we've talked about a couple of back to's, haven't we? I mean, we talked about getting back to Jesus' work on our behalf at the cross, that if we're going to start with a back to on anything, let's start there. The good news that he did his work on our behalf so that we'd be made right with God, that's a back to in which God says, yeah, I've got you. I've got you. You have nothing more than to look at the cross and trust in that and know that God says, I've got you. I'll do the work. I'll do the work to remedy the broken relationship you have with your heavenly father. And then last week, there was another back to, right? It was a back to walking next to. You know, as we look left and right at one another, the reality we need is the the fullness of grace and truth. That's the kind of love that we're called to as followers of Christ. And so there's a back to knowing God says I've got you. There's a back to walking next to. But could I highlight one more this morning that I think each of these is so tied to our mission. Connect with Jesus, 
It's the reminder I've got you. Connect with people that is, I'll walk next to. But connecting people with Jesus, you know what that, you know what that back to is? It's looking around you. Could we all stop and look around a little bit? And as I look and as I've sat with and I've chewed on the, the passage that we just read, I'm, I'm so reminded. I mean, it was like a mirror being held up to me that I can get these blind spots and I can look around and what I think I know so well, I can, I can just miss. I can miss subtle clues of what God is up to in the middle of it and the opportunities that he gives me in the middle of it. And that's true of all of us. And so I want to walk through the passage we just read through again. But I want, I, I, if, if you'll permit me, I'd like to highlight what could be some blind spots. I mean, I had five that just, just absolutely convicted me as I read this. And, and it's not a, it wasn't a guilt sort of conviction. It was a very life-giving sort of conviction because when I realized it, I went, oh my goodness, that's the thing that's missing. I, I, I've not personally struggled much with no one at the cross. God said, I've got you. I've got you. And, and with walking with one another, that hasn't been the struggle. But looking around, if I could tell you one thing that I struggle with, and as I listen to people, I hear a struggle about, it's looking around and going, how do I spot what God's up to in front of me? How, how do I notice those details? What do I see? And so let's walk through this again, because if we miss this, you know what we ultimately miss? We miss the mission that God has brought us to, that when Jesus left this earth and he said, go into the world, make disciples, we can miss it. We can absolutely miss it. So the first one is this idea that it may not be who you thought. When you leave these doors and you think about, okay, if God's going to use me to reach somebody this week, it may not be who you thought, as evidenced by the very first verse that we read a little bit ago. Verse 27, just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want? Or why are you talking with her? And I have a theory as to why nobody said this. Because if you go back a couple chapters, Jesus had made this whip. Okay, he went into the temple and he saw that like all this stuff was going on except worship. And so Jesus made this whip. Now, if you're a new disciple of Jesus and you see him make this whip in this, in, there's this anger. I mean, what are you thinking? You see him talking to a woman and you'd be like, I'm not going to say, I mean, I know what I think, but I'm not going to say anything to that. He's just, I'm going to let him be him. And, but, excuse me, as I think about us here sitting in this room, this kind of funny thing happens. Kara and I, my wife and I often talk about, if it wasn't for Jesus, I'm not sure we would be married today. I mean, you know, growing up, we were part of two totally different groups. She was, she was a heavy metal junkie, and uh, <laughs> I was into knitting and embroidery, and it just... You know, if not for Jesus. But isn't it true? Just take a minute and look around you. Just look around the room. It's okay. You can, you can look around the room. It's, uh, I want to make an honest statement. Probably none of us would have chosen the exact combination of people in here, would we? No, because like we talked about last week, I'm drawn to people, and you're drawn to people just like you. Right? And so you can probably think of faces that you'd like to have in the room. And then there are faces in the room that you never imagined would be in the room. And then there are some faces in the room that you never even knew existed. And see, it's a reminder that as, as much as we carry our preferences for who we're around and who's in our life, ultimately, 
It's God. Ultimately, it's our Savior who's brought us all together. It may not be who you thought. Well, as you continue through the passage, there's another, another blind spot that jumps up. Before I move on to that, I was reminded years ago, I met a guy at a leadership conference uh, out in California. This was years ago. And I asked him, I said, okay, so, you know, what do you do? He said, well, I'm a, I'm a pastor. And I said, oh, how long have you been a pastor? And he's like, about four months. And suddenly there was a bit of an agitated tone to his response. I went, oh, okay, and how are you liking that? Because in my head I'm thinking, he seems a little agitated. He's like, well, it's just, just been rough. We just planted a church. And, and I said, oh, what, what led to that? He's like, well, I just got mad at the leadership of my old church. So I left, and I took a bunch of people that agree with me. <laughs> I was like, oh, no. Uh, I'm never setting foot in your church, okay? Um, but that's often what happens, isn't it? And oftentimes, when I talk to people about church, you know, there are some couple parents on Lincoln's baseball team. They're not part of church, and so they've felt the freedom to share very directly and very honestly about why they don't come to church. They said, honestly, we just, we see that Christians spend a lot of time disagreeing with each other. And so I think, well, I'm not sure I want to be part of that. And so we have to remember that when we set foot in the church, it's not going to be who you thought. And when God calls you to somebody, when you leave today, it may not be who you thought. It may not be who you imagined. It may not be who you wanted. Well, it continues. It's not just not who you thought. It's not where you thought. Listen to this. Then, leaving her water jar, verse 28, the woman went back to the town. The woman went back to the town. She went back to the place that she spent the most time. See, a lot of times it's easy to get into the mentality, especially when we're in church on Sunday morning, that everything happens right here. And we have to be reminded, as I was reminded as a teenager, we come here, we're nourished, we worship, we're edified, we're equipped, we're built up to go, to go back to the town, back into the areas that we're used to every single day, whether that's work or school or with our neighbors or wherever we're at. She went back to the town. It continues, and said to the people, come, see a man, and listen to what she said. Come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. It wasn't come, there's free donuts this Sunday. It was come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. And that word everything obviously is an exaggeration. When do we use that exaggeration? When we want to make somebody into a villain, right? In the way she's talking, if, if you were to just read this on paper, you'd think, oh, she's mad. He pointed out this painful part of her life. She's upset. And yet she says, we know, we know the tone that she's really taking with what she says next. Could this be the Messiah? See, this is a woman who had encountered the truth about herself, but with it was given such grace she was given, as we looked at last week, grace upon grace upon grace. And so, as she went and told people about him, what came out of her was, he, he gave me the truth that I need more than me. And it was full of grace upon grace upon grace. Could this be the Messiah? And so, they came out of the town and made their way toward him. They came out of this place that they would have been happy to stay at but they made their way toward him. 
because he'd been full of grace and full of truth. See, I I think one of the adjustments that this passage just gave even my own eyes as I look around me was not just the who in my life, but how to view the where, all the different wheres, the different locations that I'm at through the week. See, she had all new eyes on the town she had come from. The town was not just a place that she lived and she went about her life and she did, you know, her, her, the duties of every single day. The town was now a place where maybe Jesus wanted to affect people. Could we adjust our eyes? Could we adjust our eyes to see people differently and the places we go differently? Um, I was laughing with a friend yesterday because a couple weeks ago, uh, Kara was headed to work um, and I was somewhere between six and seven in the morning. And I get this call from Kara. And she's like, honey, there is a dead body on Kipling in the median. And I was like, and it sounds like you're still driving. So, but, but, you know, is West Metro there? Are the police there? She's like, no, no, there's nobody there. And I'm sitting here going, and then she's like, gotta go. Bye. And I went, what? Okay. What's going on on Kipling? Well, so I'm like looking at, looking at social media, I'm trying to turn on the news to see if there's anything going on. Finally, I find out it was actually a bear in the median on Kipling. And I just thought, okay, I mean, maybe it's a bear, or maybe it's a very hairy dead body, like Kara said. But anyway, I just thought, you want to know why that struck me as so absurd? Because I'm not used to, especially on Kipling, that time of the morning, I'm not used to looking for anything like that. And I'd I'd be willing to bet that you're not looking for that either. Truth be told, I'll leave home today, and I'm not used to looking at my neighbors as those who may have a thirst of the soul to be quenched. As this woman went back to the town, having had her thirst quenched and and having met the living Savior... She now looked at the people in the town and she went, oh my goodness, I see them in an entirely new light. And yes, I walk in in truth next to them, but it's full of grace upon grace upon grace. See, sometimes we're blind to who God is putting us in touch with and connecting us with. Sometimes we're blind to where. Where? Sometimes we're blind to where the passage takes us next. We're blind to what, to what we thought people need. Listen to this. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him. So his disciples are back now. And they say, Rabbi, eat something. You know, we left you. You were hungry. You were tired. You were hot. Eat something. And, you know, they're holding their Chick-fil-A or whatever it is right there in their hands. Eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. In other words, I've got something that nourishes me that isn't just about the physical food that you've got in front of you. And because he didn't say it in those words, we get the the remark they made next, verse 33. Then his disciples said to each other, could someone have brought him food? Like, is there a food truck traveling through Samaria right now? This is amazing. And see, it's so easy for us to live at only that level, right? We think about our physical needs and we think about our physical wants, and yes, those are absolutely important. And yet, if you've lived enough life, you know that you can 
You can go through each day and you can check those boxes and meet those needs and meet those wants and something can still be completely empty and parched in here and hungry in here. Can't there be? Absolutely. My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and finish his work. And the question should become, what actually feeds me? I mean, is it three meals a day? And, and, and is it like s- some snacks in between? I, is it just a job, just a paycheck? This is not to minimize all of this. It's to remind us that it's not everything, that there can still be a void inside of us. It, it's kind of like this. You think about different foods lead to different foods, right? I mean, how is it that we can eat and eat and eat? I'm talking literal food now. We can eat and eat and eat and eat. And then 30 minutes later, you can be like, duh, in front of the fridge, just standing there with the door open, right? Or studies have been done about the fast food industry. They have figured out the texture, the content, the ingredients, the exact amount of sugar that's going to create a craving inside of us for sodium, and then the exact amount of sodium that's going to create a craving for sugar. And it becomes this, em- this, this endless loop of unhealthy, empty calories, doesn't it? And then there are some foods that lead to other things that can lead to you actually feel better when you eat them. You actually feel satisfied when you eat them. Have you noticed that? This is what Jesus is getting at. He's like, listen, I know you guys are focused because you're hungry, but, but you want to know what nourishes my soul? Is to go to the starving. The ones whose souls are starving. Those are the, the, that's the food that nourishes me. It it may not be who you thought. It may not be where you thought. And as we look at people and we think about what they need, it may not be what you thought. See, a lot of times we look for a concrete and absolutely important, a concrete answer and a material answer. And yet, as followers of Christ, we point them to the very thing Jesus pointed the woman at the well to. That yes, you came for physical water, but I, I can give you water that actually quenches the thirst in your soul. Passage takes us to another, another potential blind spot to help us see more clearly. It may not be when you thought. I mean, aren't we all guilty of the, of the one day? One day, I'll, one day I'll talk to my coworker about Jesus. One day I'll bring it up with my neighbor. One day I'll, get, one day I'll invite them to church so that they can hear more of his word, so they can experience what worship looks like, what community in the body of Christ looks like. One day, I'll do it. Jesus said this to him. He said, don't you have a saying, it's still four months until harvest? And what he's getting at is they had this saying that we all know. We're not going to harvest until it's ready, right? And so a lot of times we can get thinking like this. Well, I don't want to do it until the time's right. And I believe me, I'm a huge, firm believer in wait on the Lord, and he will open doors. But a lot of times, you know what happens? He opens doors, he opens doors, and I go, ah, I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait. Don't you have a saying, it's still four months until harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. In other words, the tops of the grain had turned white. He said, when you look at a field, that's how you know it's ripe for harvest. Verse 36, even now, the one who reaps draws a wage and harvests a crop for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. 
Thus the saying, one sows and another reaps, is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. You know what, I've I've just noticed this for me, is oftentimes, I, I imagine that the conversation, having a conversation with someone and saying, come, come hear about the one who I've trusted in as my Lord and Savior of my own life, I think I've got to carry out the whole process. Yet Jesus says, no, 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 you've been placed and you've been positioned and actually a whole lot of work, a whole lot of the foundation has been laid before you ever even stepped into this. And he says, now is your, is your opportunity. Now's your opportunity. And if you and I could get past the mental block of thinking that we're the beginning of it, we're the middle of it, and we're the end of it, you know what happens? We start to lose some of the angst around when we need to step into conversations. Because Jesus says, listen, a whole lot of preparation has gone into this. God is serving this opportunity up to you on a silver platter. Others have done the hard work and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. Now, as I was trying to think through what this would be like, I finally found one that should just motivate the heck out of us. Have you ever just done that thing? You've fallen asleep watching TV at night and there's food out on the counter. And because you're so tired, you go up and you go to bed and you come down the next day. And it's that awful, awful feeling that I just, I left it out. You know, especially with, with like uh, vegetables, with meat, stuff like that. You left it out. And what do you have to do? What do you have to do with it? You have to throw it away. Unless it's an Oreo and milk. Those things last. Anyway, totally different sermon. Anyway. But it's a wasted opportunity. I once heard a story about um, the wheat harvest in World War I in Australia. And in, in, while World War I was going on in Australia, so many men had responded to the call to the military that by the time the wheat harvest came around um, during, during one year, Australia had a problem. It was called the reap or rot year. Reap or rot. And they looked around and they realized we have nobody to harvest the fields. We have nobody to do it. As a result, so much of it died. And I can't help but sit there and think of that and think of this when I hear that story. When it's Jesus saying to us, listen, it, it may not be who you thought. It may not be where you thought. You may not be nourishing people with what you thought you ought to be. It may not be when you thought. But don't lose this opportunity. One more. One more that this brought up for me as I thought about it. He may not do it. How you thought that as you look around you and you think about connecting people with Jesus, he may not do it the way you think he should. Listen to this, verse 39. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. That is, her testimony got them through the door, and then he took over. He had only to speak, and many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man...
disciples, the followers of Jesus are getting a real-time first-hand lesson on what looking around you and God using you to connect people with him actually looks like. I mean, think about it. This woman, who, who was a Samaritan woman, I mean, there were, there were Jews who didn't even qualify to be followers of a rabbi. But a Samaritan woman living with a man, not her husband, and that we know of no prior theological training or learning or education. And God, you're going to use that? You're going to use that? And, and it's like right near the start of John's gospel. You know what that should say? Every single person in here, because he's got you, you've connected with him, and you can walk next to each other, that means every single person in here, we can go out these doors and we can, you can look around you. And I was reminded years ago, of, um, I've got a, a person in an extended family member that when he was in high school, um, he, was, he was a track champion in Nebraska in high school. And I remember he, would, he, was, he was incredible at track and field. Well, he had a younger brother who actually came along and he beat, he beat all of his school records, like every single one of them. So nothing sounds too out of the ordinary, right? I remember one trip to Nebraska, younger brother who is now beating all of his older brothers from I'm like rummaging around his room because this is what you do when you're young and it's your relative's house in Nebraska. There was nothing to do. It was either run through a cornfield or rummage through your relative's rooms. So I get, I'm just like going through everything and I I would have been the worst to have come visit. And suddenly I find these cigarettes And, and he got home later and I just was direct on the approach. I was like, hey, I found these. He's like, don't you dare tell anybody. I was like, are you, are you smoking? He's like, yeah. I was like, so you're smoking and you're setting school records in track and field. Moral of the story, let's pick up smoking. We'll close in prayer. No, that's not the moral of the story, all right? But I just thought that, that shouldn't work. That, that shouldn't work. It's not a judgment on smoking. It's a that shouldn't work. How does this guy who smokes and he needs his lungs to run at his best set school records in track and field? It makes no sense. How does a woman who's living with a man that's not her husband, who's not a Jew, who's convicted by truth about her life, the painful, shameful truth, people with Jesus because Jesus looks at us and he goes look it may not be where you thought what you thought when you thought how you thought and and so with all this in mind this episode in mind I just want to come back to us for a moment before we close here talk about you for a moment And please know I'm only talking about you because I first had to do this exercise with me this week. What does it look like to get back to looking around you? If you were to get back to looking around you, seeing with fresh eyes everything around you, what would that look like? Because I can't help thinking the heart to look around and have grace and truth upon others starts with remembering that he looked around and saw me. 
and he saw you. And so I want you to think through each of these for a moment. Think about who. You know, before you ever sat in this room, who were you? Before you ever came to church, who were you? Because many of us go, oh man, my journey. I don't know. I'm still not sure if God, God could love me after all that. And yet here you are. Here you are. See, you may have been the person that wasn't who other people thought God could get to. Okay? What about the next one? Where? Where have you been? Where has your journey brought you? You know, in the most unlikely of places, God looked around and he saw you. And he saw me. What? What? This is the tough one. This is the one that the woman just put into a simple sentence. Come see the man who told me what? Everything I've ever done. What have you done? What have you done? And as much as you think he may want to strike you with a lightning bolt, you're still here. What have you done that he has had grace on? What have you done that he convicted you with upon grace he's walked next to? Maybe this morning is the first time you've just seen with new eyes that he's been there all along. And some of you, it's just been over and over and over and over throughout the journey of my life, all my years. He's been there every single time. Finally, how? How has he used you? Or maybe if, if you're not at that part where you can't see how he's used you, how has he used others around you to get to you? See, when... When all those unlikely situations start to come together, you know what? Something starts to let up a little bit in the heart. Because you know what you realize? I've been given so much grace. I've been given so much mercy. He's met me everywhere. And I guess there's just one question left. You know, we've covered who, what, when, where, how. What's the other one? Some people are like Googling. What's what's the other one? Why? 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 And to answer that, I want to point you back to a verse we didn't read today, but it's at the very beginning of this account. Verse 4 of John chapter 4. He had to go through Samaria. You sit there and you think, okay, what? This is like ancient Israel stuff, Nathan. He had to go through Samaria. Samaria. If you were to look at a map, you know what you would see? If you were to trace the journey of where Jesus was in, in John chapter 2, and John chapter 3, and now in John chapter 4, you'd see that he came down the Jordan River Basin to Jerusalem. And at that point, when he's making a decision as to where he's going to go next, as he heads into John, as we head into John chapter 4, you know what you realize? Jesus, it would probably be a lot more efficient. You'd probably find a lot more comforts. You'd probably find a lot more resources if you would just go back up that Jordan River Basin the way you came from. And then we get John 4.4. But he had to go through Samaria. It's not because it was a geographic thing. See, we think efficiency. And we think of what would have been comfortable. And we think of how we would have done it. And you know what he thinks? Coverage. He thinks, you know what, there's a region full of people that are far from God 
that don't think he wants anything to do with them. And I have to go. He had to go through Samaria. When he looked at you and me, it wasn't Samaria this time. He said, I have to go to the cross in order to connect people with their heavenly father. So you know how you get back to looking around you? You know how you do that? You remember that he first looked around and he saw you. And so as the worship team comes back up, will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we, uh, as we get back to so much this fall, it's so easy to get caught up, as the disciples were, on all the uh, earthly, physical, material things that just we get back to this time of year, whether it's schedules or school or work or sports or chores or, or seasonal activities. And we get so caught up in that that we can forget the heart. And so, Lord, and I've got you so much you can walk next to those around you, but I've actually got you so much that there's no risk in looking around you. Lord, give us hearts. Give us eyes. Give us minds to see our settings around us that we're so familiar with that we can develop blind spots in. Lord, we only want to go to who you want us to go to, where you want us to go to them, with what you want us to go to them with, when, how, all of it, so that we can remind the world and be reminded ourselves that you first looked around you and you saw us and pursued us. We pray all this in Jesus' name, amen.